Welcome to A Sky Full of Stars, a program where we honor and talk about each of Mary's titles in the litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Join us each episode as we chit-chat about the virtues that the Church ascribes to our Mother. The materials of this program come from the book entitled, A Sky Full of Stars, Get to Know Our Lady Through Her Titles in the Litany. It is written by Joby Provito. And it is available at ourcatholicfaith.net. Let's lift the veil of Mary's many titles, and get to know the Lady within. In this episode, we will reflect on the title, Mother of the Church. Let's fall in love with our mother, all over again. Episode 5. Mother of the Church. Hello and welcome to this episode. Today we will reflect on the title, Mother of the Church. At the close of the Second Vatican Council, Pope Paul VI formally declared Mary as, Mother of the Church. But it is a title that can be traced to as early as the 4th century when St. Ambrose used it. It was St. Pope John Paul II that formally inserted this invocation in the litany in 1980, and more recently, in 2018, Pope Francis declared that the Universal Church would celebrate the Feast of Mary, Mother of the Church, on the Monday after Pentecost. If many popes thought to honor Mary with this title, it must mean a lot, and that is what we will reflect on in this episode. Why would the Church call Mary the Mother of the Church if she didn't give birth to it? The first reason is that Christ made her our Mother. The Gospel reading for the Feast of Mary, Mother of the Church, comes from John's Gospel where Jesus, hanging from the cross, tells Mary, Woman behold your son, and to Saint John, behold your mother. We might want to think of it as an extension of Mary's role. First, God asked Mary to be the mother of the Messiah in the Annunciation, and before his death, Christ, who is also God, asked her to become the mother of the Church, here represented by Saint John. Because Jesus is God, his words change reality. When he tells someone, your sins are forgiven, that person's sins are forgiven. When he told people that a dead girl is merely sleeping, she wakes up from her sleep. When he tells his apostles that the bread he is holding is his body, it is his body. Therefore, when he told John, Behold your mother, it is as real as his words make things real. Mary understood it this way and went home with John. We shouldn't think of this moment as if Christ took a break from his passion to find someone to take care of his mother. Instead, this moment was part of a cosmic liturgy which involved the darkening of the sun and the earthquakes. He always meant for Mary to be our mother, and it was always part of God's plan. The Gospel of John continues to tell us that when afternoon had come, the preparation for the Sabbath was about to begin. For us, our day begins at sunrise and ends at sunset, but for Jews, the days are counted like how it was in Genesis, where we read, evening came and morning followed, the first day. So the new day starts in the evening. So since evening was about to come, it meant that the Sabbath was about to begin. Since they could not profane the Sabbath, they asked that the legs of those crucified should be broken. Understanding the crucifixion will help make sense of this. People who are crucified hang by their wrists, and in that prolonged position, they enter into a state of asphyxia where they can't get oxygen to their blood which deliver it to the muscles. And if they can't do that, a heart, which is a muscle, has no fuel and it stops. So to get air, those crucified push up with their feet to get a gasp of air. They hold this position for a while, but at some point, 
the legs will tire and then that person will hang again in an asphyxiated position. This is the painful cycle that goes on when one is crucified. Understanding this then, if the legs are broken, there is no way a crucified person can lift himself up, and death will soon come. We are told that when the soldier came to Christ, he was already dead. To make sure he was dead, a soldier pierced his side with a lance and created a hole in Christ's side where blood and water came out. The church fathers easily saw that this was the symbolic formation of the church, Christ's unblemished bride. Why is that? Well God has always presented himself as a bridegroom to his bride Israel. We read in Isaiah how God talks of his relation with Israel as husband and wife. In the New Testament, when the disciples of John the Baptist were asking Jesus why his disciples were not fasting, he said, how can the wedding guests fast if the bridegroom is still with them? He was referring to himself as the bridegroom of the church, the way God would refer to himself as a husband of his chosen people, Israel. When we tie this up with Adam and Eve, we get the reason why the church fathers thought the blood from the side of Christ is the formation of the church. Here's how that goes. When God created Eve, he put Adam in a deep sleep, opened Adam's side, took out a rib, and created Eve out of it. In the next verse we read about a marriage. It refers to Adam as the husband and Eve as his wife. Genesis says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two of them become one flesh. When Christ died, it was like a deep sleep because he eventually rose on the third day. Just like Adam, it was his bride that came from his side. Since water is a symbol of cleansing, it is what cleanses the church to become Christ's unblemished bride. So just like a baby waiting to be born and take its first breath, the church was formed from the side of Christ, and then on Pentecost, just as God blew life into the nostrils of Adam, the Holy Spirit blew life, like a strong wind, into the nostrils of the church. Pentecost is when the church takes its first breath. So if the church was born, it needs a mother to nurture her. That is why Mary was given by Christ to the church. While the church was still in its womb, it was Mary who kept it alive on Black Saturday. The apostles were trembling in fear probably hiding in some dark corner. It was Mary who kept the faith alive. She was the anchor of the church that the apostles could rally around. The church didn't rally around Peter who was so afraid that he abandoned our Lord. The church didn't rally around any of the other apostles. It was Mary who stood firm. She was the mother that the ailing church could go to for comfort in this dark time. It makes sense then, that Pope Francis puts the celebration of Mary, mother of the church, the day after Pentecost, the birthday of the church. How can Mary be a mother to the church if it wasn't born yet? In the early days of the church, it made sense that the apostles were around Mary. Whenever they wanted to know more about Christ, who else could they ask except his mother? The infancy narratives of Matthew and Luke must have come from Mary who pondered these things in her heart. When the apostles went off to missions and came back, Mary was most likely there to listen to their joys and sorrows. Who does these things if not a mother? And if she acted as their mother, then they must have naturally treated her as such. This is why we find that the apostles were with Mary at Pentecost. When we think of our Marian devotion, it would have naturally have come from the apostles. Non-Catholics will say we are so immovable with what we believe, and truly, so because we base our traditions from what the apostles handed down to us. Therefore it would have been impossible for a Marian devotion enter the church if it had not started from the apostles themselves. There is another way that Mary is the mother of the church. We say she is the mother of the church because the church is the mystical body of Christ. Once again it has to do with the oneness of the church with Christ. Since the church is the bride of Christ, it is one flesh with Christ just as Adam was one flesh with Eve. Just as every husband is one flesh with his bride. This means Christ and his church are one thing. Another way we express this oneness is that Christ is the head, and the church is his mystical body that is one with him. 
During the Last Supper, Christ said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If the branch is separated from the vine, it is dead. If the church is separated from Christ its head, it is dead. In liturgy, the church joins with Christ, the head, in offering prayers and worship to the Father. Together Christ and his church are called, the whole Christ. Saint Joan of Arc said it eloquently, about Jesus Christ and the church, I simply know their one thing, and we shouldn't complicate the matter. So if Mary is the mother of Jesus, and Christ and his church are one thing, then Mary is the mother of the church, for it is Christ. Just as she nurtured the baby Jesus with her milk, she nourishes the church with graces, for she is the mediatrix of grace. With this we should see the church as more than just an institution. We should see it as an organism that is living and breathing, and that it is the mystical body of Christ. We should see ourselves as part of Christ's body. When we invoke the title Mother of the Church, let us think of Mary as our mother who will guide, nurture, and protect us who are her children. And so we pray, Mother of the Church, pray for us. That is it for this episode of A Sky Full of Stars. I hope you join us in our next episode. May God bless you. And may our mother always keep you in her mantle. See you next time. The contents of this program are based on the book, A Sky Full of Stars. Subtitled, Know Our Lady Through Her Titles in the Litany. Hardbound, paperback, and Kindle versions of the book are available on Amazon. In the Philippines, the paperback is available at ourcatholicfaith.net. Get your copy today. This program is brought to you by The Catholic Talks. Join us again next time for another episode of A Sky Full of Stars. Let's fall in love with our mother all over again.